Good to know. Yeah, all right. Well, you know, this is the last time I'm going to interrupt you. That's not this year. Oh, (laughs) there we go. This is, uh, (laughs) that really tickled me. (laughs) No, you know, low standards. Anyway, when I'm talking to you, Joe, always. mm, So, this is Thinking (laughs) Like a Lawyer. This is your podcast about. Above the laws, stories of the year, you know, stories oh the week generally. But this time it's going to be stories of the year. Sort of, you know, twenty twenty two is over. Yeah, or almost well, over. About to be. Uh, this is uh, Joe Patrice, uh, editor at Above the Law. I'm joined as per usual by Chris Williams and Catherine Rubino. Uh, hey. And we're going to talk about this. Uh, yeah. Little caveat, of course, is that we are recording this before the actual last day of 2022. So if something crazy happens in the legal world for the last week, may not be coming. I mean, obviously, it's coming out before the last day of 2022. Well, so, people, yeah. people, listen, not everybody listens to a podcast the instant it's available. People oh, might, no. Really? Yeah, you know they how can they do can it on avo- their own schedule. You know though. how they can avoid that problem? By subscribing, which subscribing. you should do now. But as even well if as you subscribe, reviews. you don't oh. have to listen immediately. Like, I, get, subscribe, I subscribe to this podcast, but I don't listen the second it comes out. That, see, that's folly. I carve my day up so that as soon as I get that notification, I listen. Well, la-di-da. Get a job, Joe. <laughs> Indeed. And speaking of jobs, let's uh, jump right into it because we have a lot to cover. Wait, so no, wait, no. We got to point out. We got to point out. I told what? you to get a job. Your immediate response was indeed. That was brilliant. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh. Not a sponsor. Not sponsored, yeah. As far as we know. I guess, <laughs> actually, I shouldn't necessarily say that because we have kind of a dynamic ad thing. So maybe they will be in the future, at which point, great. You send them this little clip uh, to pitch them. But yeah, no. So. Yes, so we will forego our usual small talk small and talk. get right small into talk. it. Yes, no, we're we're yeah, we're gonna forego that. Uh, so Still like saying it, right? That's so there's no no trumpet fanfare for small talk today. No, damn it! All right, so Amazing. so given that, let's go right into our end of the year thing because it is, of course, you know, the end of the year and a new year upon us. <laughs> So, Fantastic. with that said, let's talk about yeah. what, what do we want to do? How do we want to do this? I figure we'll try to figure out what the top stories, the most important stories in the legal news world are or were in 2022. We'll kind of divide it up into categories so it's a little bit easier to talk about. Awesome. So, first category of legal news of the year you have down here on my notes, Supreme Court. So yeah. what's the biggest, what, what are the biggest takeaway story of uh, the year for the Supreme Court? Well, it's hard not to say Dobbs, right? Oh, yeah. which one was that? <laughs> yeah, no, I know that it's, makes sense. when we lost all of our freedom. Remember yeah. reproductive what, freedom? What, no, I, I mean, knew I mean, you, I mean, you well. did. I, 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 I came <laughs> out of it okay, wow. unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, I mean, there's definitely, I think, a very strong argument that that is one of the most impactful Supreme Court stories of the year. Obviously, the Alito decision overturned 50 years of precedent that secured reproductive freedom for uterus havers. That is now gone, and we've 
almost immediately saw the repercussions throughout the country in a bunch of states that had trigger laws, which meant that abortion was immediately banned. Um, we've continued to hear just horror stories from across the country um, of just terrible situations where women's lives are being put at risk, their well, mental well-being certainly because of these ridiculous laws. So I hear that, and I think there's also there's also spinoff of that story to other issues, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's worth noting that that story began, you know, had, had begat a number of protests. Uh, one of the bigger stories of the year on our website, at least, was the string of protests outside of Supreme Court justices' homes, which mm -hmm. prompted Republican lawmakers and the court's internal security folks to say that there needed to be some sort of crackdown and uh, they, the local law enforcement needs to prevent this sort of thing from happening, uh, which was rich given that the Supreme Court had already ruled that you can harass abortion providers outside their home uh, as a matter the of the First Amendment. The law for ye, not for me. <laughs> right. So uh, this was the year that yeah. they they learned that the law applies to the, that the laws they create apply to them too. Now, now see, here's the sad trombone noise. Yeah, That's right. where that needs to come in. Yeah, and I think that you're right. And I think, importantly, we're probably not going to see the end of the protests against the justices because, you know, the Dobbs case, well, it certainly happened in 2022. And, and I think that the Dobbs is important in two ways. First of all, the most important way the verdict talked about that it took away freedoms from folks, but also in the leak aspect of sort of the, the, the machinations behind what goes on at the court really got a, a, sh a light was sh shown on it. Right. So we had the Supreme Court uh, opinion being the draft opinion being leaked earlier. Mm -hmm. uh, there was a lot of speculation over who did it, uh, who done it. Who done uh, it? Chief Justice Roberts uh, promised a sweeping investigation where they seized phones and records and tried to figure this out. And uh, we are now, you know, that was a long time ago. And we're now at the end of the year. They're going to find Spoiler out. Spoiler alert. We're not going to. Find they're going to find out who killed Tupac and Biggie before they figure <laughs> out who leaked this. Uh, that said, I, I think we also, though, did have on the Supreme Court beat. We had some insight as to who might have leaked it, because mm -hmm. this was also the year we learned that Justice Alito. Well, we learned we heard from somebody who said allegations that Justice Alito told us the results of Hobby Lobby before it happened. And yeah, at a private party that he hung out with us, Justice Alito said, no, I didn't. And that was the end of that investigation. And so scene. <laughs> so you, you, you can see exactly how this how this works for everybody. All right. So let, let's transition there. Uh, so that was Dobbs. Right. Right. But I, I'll contend yes. that there might be some other other issues at Bigger the Supreme stories. Court level. Okay. Yeah. Love it. Love I mean, it. I, I really think that I, I mean, I actually agree with you that Dobbs, when you add in I mean, Dobbs was already maybe the biggest story. And then when you add in all the tertiary stuff about leaks and whatever, it probably is the biggest story. But there's something to be said also for Morvey Harper showing that there's at least, I mean, we don't have an opinion yet, but we have an oral argument that seems to have some pretty cool tea leaves. Uh, there may be limits to how far even this majority is willing yeah. to go. You know, I think that the the thing that kind of ties those two stories together is the emergence of the YOLO court. Even the way that... Uh, gavel yes. bang to Leah Lippman on that one. Ob That's obviously, obviously her. 
but but it so aptly captures what what I think these decisions that we're reading now, what they're doing and what they're saying. I mean, if you read the Dobbs decision, I, I described it as like flame on. It is scorched earth. We don't care. We have the numbers. What you gonna do about it? It is not the kind of measured legal reasoning that most people have come to expect from Supreme Court decisions. So Moore and Harper, this is the case where they argue, if you've been listening recently, you heard a little bit about that. This is the case where the Supreme Court took up the possibility that when the Constitution says legislatures get to set the rules for federal elections, they mean legislature, state legislatures, independent of what the state constitution or the state executive or the state courts might say about what the laws of the state are. Uh, this obviously has ramifications that are very good politically for, you know, a party that may draw Shocking. map lines <laughs> such that rural areas have overrepresentation in those legislatures. Uh, that was seemingly a real attack on the core of how elections happen in this country, which mm -hmm. could be even could really have arguably I'm, I'm taking a devil's advocate position. This case could have been even bigger than Dobbs in some ways, because the rights at issue in Dobbs, as well as several other strings of rights, would all be contingent mm -hmm. if that case went the other way. Uh, that said, what we saw at that at that oral argument was that it seemed like only three conservative justices were really on board with this, and that every and there were also three conservative justices who seemed a little leery of the idea of canceling democracy. I mean, listen, maybe this is more accurately the biggest story of next year yeah. Um, yeah. about the Supreme Court. But but certainly the the impact, the potential impact that's on the line here is tremendous, cannot be overstated. If you hear people screaming about Moore v. Harper, they are not overreacting. They are perhaps underreacting. I'm going to give a shout out because I think it, it, it's worthy. Like well, we wrote about how Justice Jackson actually asked mm -hmm. the most the most damning question uh, during oral argument on this, which was uh, how does a legislature have power kind of above its own constitution that created it, uh, which is an excellent question. But I was going to give a shout out since it wasn't really the focus of the article on it to uh, Hogan Lovell's Neil Katyal gave a oral argument on it that I highly recommend if you're anybody who's like, Cares about of, argumentation and debate? Yeah. They think, well, if you, no, I mean, put aside that. If you're thinking about getting into oral arguments and get, be, being an appellate lawyer, mm -hmm. uh, I would highly recommend listening to that. Masterclass. Yeah. It, well, I'll go so far as to say that Judge Ludig, who is a used to be basically the benchmark of right-wing <laughs> judge, you know, I, and, and it's a testament to how times have changed. Judge Ludig actually made a point on social media about, like, this was the best oral argument I have ever heard. And yeah. I got to be honest, I, I listened to it. I, I thought something similar. So yeah. it, good story there. Was that oral argument in your Spotify wrapped? Like, did, it, <laughs> I, did, it, did you go to sleep at night just listening to the sweet sounds? So, I don't, so I don't have Spotify. I, <gasps> I, I, I've never done that. Yeah, no. I, I buy my music and then put it uh, on my thing. And that way I have it. So that's what Generation X thinks about these issues. Yeah. Um, but the other thing I was going to say is that you kind of teed us up to the other major Supreme Court story, which I think is a much more optimistic spin on the court, which maybe is why we foregrounded the other story. But obviously it's KBJ, ascension yeah. to the court, right? Flat, yeah. First black woman on the Supreme Court comes into the court, immediately starts swinging for the fences in oral arguments she hasn't written anything yet because that's where we are kind of in the cycle, but 
very optimistic about what she'll bring to the court. Yeah. Yeah, that all happened this year, too. Yeah, I'm, that, that I'm just, also happened. <laughs> yeah. I'm, just, I'm just very happy that the uh, the second black Supreme Court justice is a woman. And uh, before anyone preempts, I said what I said. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Calidus AI cleverly supports you by suggesting relevant law to address your complex issues. Put in simple questions or longer fact patterns, then Calidus asks you to confirm if points are salient before proceeding. Use Calidus to check if you found all the key concepts, cases, and statutes. Calidus turns that into a high-quality, customer-ready document. Handle complexity confidently with Legal's most advanced AI platform. Get $90 off your first two months. Use promo code Joe at CalidusAI.com. That's C-A-L-L-I-D-U-S-A-I.com. Hey, Guy, what's up? Just having some lunch, Conrad. Hey, Guy, do you see that billboard out there? Oh, you mean that guy out there in the gray suit? Yeah, the gray suit guy. Order up. There's uh, all those beautiful, rich, leather-bound books in the background. That is exactly the one. That's J.D. McGuffin at Law. He'll fight for you! I bet you he has got so many years of experience. Like decades and decades. And I bet, Guy, I bet he even went to a law school. Are you a lawyer? Do you suffer from dull marketing and a lack of positioning in a crowded legal marketplace? Sit down with Guy and Conrad for Lunch Hour Legal Marketing on the Legal Talk Network. Available wherever podcasts are found. So, what, 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 where do we want to go next? Do we want to go to law schools? Yeah, now we should talk about law schools. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Chris, you actually had a great argument for sort of a trend that you were seeing in legal academia this year. Yes, Conservatives have a really good job of pretend, like saying bullshit opinions and being like, but liberty. So there have been a bunch of uh, private institutions that have been arguing for the right to, at least on some level, maybe their employees to either like say slurs or just do like very, very bigoted things and be like, oh, no, this is about freedom of speech. When that isn't the thing, like the like the, the First Amendment pertains to public institutions. Right. And like. Yale, despite all his prestige, is a private institution, as is Georgetown, um, as is this whole gamut of of uh, law schools that aren't right. properly interacting with the First Amendment. Is this the issue that was in mind? Yes, no, that's absolutely the issue. So, so obviously, those are all institutions where the First Amendment doesn't actually apply uh, because you you can't use the First Amendment against private private mm-hmm. actors. Uh, that said. I'll I'll put on my role play as Jonathan Turley hat, uh, which I <laughs> no, I rarely do, do. <laughs> but but on this point he has a, at least a limited point, which is that even if the Constitution is not protect is not giving you a right of action that this is a violation of your constitutional rights, there is an advantage to the idea that academic spaces are open to free speech or academic freedom and uh, the, these kind of buzzword terms i also think that like academic spaces should be like subject to proper citation <laughs> and like the idea well, that these things are all being couched in the first amendment when they clearly would you want to talk about what some of these were yeah so go go with that amy wax saying that like blacks are vengeful and lazy or not no vengeful and um don't deserve to be here that like asian folks uh don't deserve to be here and those are just like that's just bad pedagogy. Um, and like no student should have to deal with 
the person grading them, having that at the front of their mind, let alone the back. And what is clearly an issue of just being a bad teacher is, well, you know, we have the right to have free discourse. No, this is just you being shitty at your job. So on this front, so so this actually takes us back to a previous year. Uh, <laughs> but oh, Amy Wax is the gift that keeps on giving. Right. So, so Amy, and the gift Amy is Wax, death. <laughs> yeah, so Amy Wax, Amy Wax in the past has said all those things, and Amy Wax also has cited Wikipedia as her justification for that, which is, you know, the point where maybe academic freedom doesn't doesn't extend that far. Uh, I think this year was really the year that, for her, where she brought a white supremacist to class uh, to mm-hmm. talk to her students. I, that's the part where we reached maybe— She's been showing up to her classes for years, Joe. Oh, oh. zing. Oh. Oh, I have yeah, a— Yeah, you, you, you have to do— Thank yeah. you. So Thank yeah, you. Uh, I just didn't have that open because I was opening the article uh, <laughs> but, for reference. But yeah, so when when she did that, that was what finally pushed after years of this uh, the folks at Penn Law to consider maybe consequences. Maybe consequences are necessary, uh, <laughs> even though are somebody so is tenured. Uh, this prompted obviously right wing outrage. They're like, oh, you know, he's going after tenured professors, and what about academic freedom? And it's like, is this really academic freedom to to you know bring white supremacists to class? Uh, that said, uh, this isn't the only one. Obviously, the biggest story uh, in the law school space on the First Amendment side was the Yale situation, uh, where we had. We've had this brewing for, again, this is another one that's brew, brewing for several years. Yes. We've had the dean speak about how she didn't like that people would protest speakers invited to campus uh, in the past. We had the trap house incident where we had- Fed Sox uh, had a party that they used a lot of racist imagery on. Right. And the school said, hey, don't do that. Right. And it became a whole thing. Uh, now, this year, we, the issue was a, the- Fed Sock folks invited a representative from a recognized hate group to speak at class is speak at the institution student other students uh, who did not like the idea of hate group members speaking at the school staged a protest in the event uh, they were warned to leave. They continued, they were warned to leave, and then they left. The reason they structured it that way, of course, was that they were in full awareness that the policy at Yale that reasonable time, place, manner restrictions that they have were to allow two warnings and then you leave. So they left and then protested outside. The event went on after that. Anyway, at that point, all hell breaks loose. Uh, The (laughs) professors at Yale start arguing that even though they followed the rules, they should be punished. A couple of federal judges decided that they're never going to hire any clerks from Yale again. Uh, The dean issues this like fairly spineless response of how they're going to start cracking down on this sort of thing and how it's unacceptable that people have free speech at their school because free speech means powerful people who get invited here should be able to speak uninterrupted, which is (laughs) not not, what I think a lot of us think free speech means. Yeah, the protesting part is actually written down. Right. But but, but that's the thing. (laughs) That's where it gets to this whole, like, obviously crying about the First Amendment in a private institution is clearly dumb. But like the whole concept, divorced of the First Amendment, what does it mean to have freedom of expression and speech and academic, academic, you know, discourse. the process of yeah. academic discourse? How does that function in a law school space? And these invocations of freedom seem to be mostly one unidirectional towards yeah. we should let the powerful turn you into. Well, I coined the phrase passive bullshit receptacles, and that's basically <laughs> what they think. It should be. 
so that so that is obviously a very big story uh, in the law school space, but arguably not the most. Yeah, important. I mean, certainly a story in the law school space that kind of expanded from just legal academia. And I think everyone at this point, even outside of uh, academia has heard about it, is starting with Yale Law School, a bunch of big law schools pulling out of the U.S. News and World Report rankings. I think it's a very interesting move as a PR mechanism because I'm not entirely convinced that it will, because at this point, I think it's 12 out of the top 14 schools have pulled out something like that. I don't think it's going to change the rankings tremendously. I think this is, I don't think this will substantively affect the rankings very much. I also think that U S news is such a powerful name in the rankings game. I mean, the other day I was watching TV and there was a hospital commercial that touted its U.S. news rankings, right? Like, I think it's so ubiquitous in our current culture that the when they come out with their rankings for next year, even though so-and-so hasn't participated, it's still going to matter. So USNWR, or U.S. News and World Rankings, puts <laughs> this out. Yeah, and, and so they... Yeah, so so what's happening here is that it's not like they're not going to rank. It's just right. that certain data the law schools have access to and normally share voluntarily with U.S. News, they're not going to do anymore. Now, a lot of that, that, that sparked the, the division, the argument that this getting out of the rankings matters is that you have these people who say, oh, well, this is just going to lead to a situation where uh, it's going to hurt diversity and stuff like that, because it's going to allow these schools to do things on the back end that are, you know, that aren't transparent. They're uh, mm -hmm. let in people who may be not really shouldn't be there. And they're like the transparency, this all kind of wraps into because, of course, the main piece of data that they hand over is LSAT scores and stuff and great GPAs and stuff like that. It bleeds into what could be the big story of next year, which is the ABA pending vote to get rid of the requirement that standardized testing is necessary to right. go to law school. Uh, so there's definitely that concern. The flip side of that concern, of course, is that the rankings as designed with that data privileges a gaming of the system that says, hey, oh, well, you've got this great score here that you spent $10,000 on LSAT prep going to. Not that LSAT prep is a bad thing, but it it's not a perfect, it's not a perfect determinant as mm -hmm. much as people claim that it is. Uh, and it definitely does do things the GPA doesn't do and does and it can even the playing field because it's standardized in some ways, but it's also gameable. And at some point you want a little bit of flexibility and not to be penalized for having that flexibility. It also, of course, there um, one of the other big data points that the rankings have is debt and stuff like that. Yeah, I, I mean, that's very important, but it's also something that the rankings aren't really doing a very good job penalizing people for now. So maybe we like, cause, cause the argument is that, oh, well they, they penalize us for having students in debt, but that means we don't have enough money to give scholarships to other people. So because they're penalizing us for the debt we create, they're actually preventing us from doing more to help poor students. And this, uh, is, this is circular and stupid, but this is the argument. Yeah. And it, it is still also a very wild argument because as the thing is, a lot of folks in university life know is that law schools are money makers for university systems overall. Mm -hmm. Right. So there's the fact that it is a cash cow for a lot of these schools. Also the fact that Columbia law school constantly has the highest price tag has not made it dip out of the top five. Mm-hmm. 
That is still true. And it is still wildly expensive. I mean, listen, you get you also living in New York City. There's lots of reasons oh, of why course. that's true, et cetera, et cetera. And they have great employment numbers on the back end. But let's not let's not pretend that the debt that myself included as a Columbia Law alumni, uh, it really impacted their ranking in any meaningful way. Yeah, but it is definitely changing things. And and yeah, that LSAT thing is just going to come on top of it on yeah. the back end. Yeah. Question. If you had to yep. compare the law school boycott of U.S. news to a non-legal BS boycott, what would it be? Because I'm thinking blackout Instagram or yeah. that dumb moment <laughs> where everybody had like... Like, I feel like for the, for those of us, for those weirdos who listen oh, that's to this a good podcast, one. who listen to this podcast that still don't, you know, aren't really that aware with the, with the legal news, I want you to know how dumb this was. This was like <laughs> Yale's equivalent of having those uh, safety pins on like your jacket to like show yeah. that you were down with the people. Like, this was so stupid. <laughs> yeah. What do y'all think? What would you compare it to? I I like your your black the, the black square for yeah, sure. Yeah, the black square is is definitely in there. The Yale blackout of U.S. news. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, let's. Uh, I guess we should probably we have enough topics, so we should probably go into the next one before the next break. Gotcha. So we'll we'll go right to big law. Yeah, I think changing the format slightly. I think the two we can kind of foreground the two big stories because they're very much a yin and yang of one another in big law, and they are massive raises on the first half of 2022 and layoffs on the back end. Wait, wait, wait. What what did you say at the end on the back end? Layoffs. Layoffs. Don't talk about playoffs. You kidding me? Playoffs? The great, the great Jim Mora playoff quote, which we have turned into our layoff sound effect. I right. enjoy that. Okay, good, good, good. I... Uh, yeah. They, what what uh, Charlie Chaplin ass video was that from? What Jim no, Mora? That, that's Jim Mora's playoffs yeah. speech, speech when he was with playoffs. The playoffs. Yeah. We're talking about classic. Classic. It's well, sports it, ball. It's yeah, sports ball. It's sports ball. So, is that from like? George Walker Bush or <laughs> George W. Jim Bush? Jim Mora. No, no. What? How oh, long ago what, was it? Is the question. Uh, yeah, I, I can't remember off the top of my head. Uh, so anyway, I'll, so I'll Google. Anyway, it. yeah. So back to the actual topic. So yes, yeah. So there were massive raises at the beginning of the year that brought things up to like two fifteen. Uh, that is, you know, great. You know. Obama, by the way, is the answer okay, going on. Fair enough. <laughs> it was 2009. Uh, but I think it's very interesting in the way that these two stories kind of play on each other. In the beginning of the year, we saw the the base salary for associates go up considerably. We are now at a base of $215,000 right? mm-hmm. mm-hmm. for yeah. first-year associates. So somebody who has just graduated law school, who... To be clear, no disrespect to somebody who's just graduated law school, but you don't know how to be a lawyer yet. Law school doesn't teach you how to be a lawyer. You don't know anything about the job you're supposed to do is getting paid $215,000 plus bonuses. Right. But but so I'll counter that that's necessary because sure. the associates who are working in those big law jobs, the law schools, back to the last topic a little bit, have been so egregiously nickel and diming them, that they need that money to pay off those loans. I mean, this is how an inflation cycle operates. And, you know, put aside everyone talking about inflation, which this year was mostly about Putin anyway, despite Mm -hmm. what the Fed wants to say. Uh, But so those raises, I didn't think were necessarily bad. Uh, And I'm not. And yes, there has been a slowdown in work given the economic issues. At least in certain practice areas. Right. And I think that's the real issue when it comes to the layoff situation, because when I see these layoffs, I'm seeing largely companies with a lot of tech sector clients. Right. 
you know, we're hearing stealth or outright layoffs from the Cooley, Gunderson kind of world. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have some rumor mill stuff about some other firms that are very heavy in like private equity stuff, but we've reported on Kirkland on Kirkland. Yeah. yeah. But most law firms aren't doing this yet. Uh, and I think, I think part of that is that nobody wants to jump the gun on layoffs. Uh, I think that that's a hundred percent accurate. I think that the ghost of 2010 looms large in the minds of big law partnership. uh, And that is why they are slow playing these playoffs. I mean, yeah, no, I I think that's true. I also think there's at least some cooler head prevailing somewhere thinking that even though they may not be somebody on the federal reserve, that when you look at the inflation cycle that we've had, it seems to be supply chain related from either holdover catching up from COVID lockdowns, in mm-hmm. particular in China, where a lot of supplies come from, added to the energy shock and how that spills through everything, both of which are getting addressed. And you can see inflation just going mm-hmm. down and down. I mean, it's still up, but, you know, the the rate takes of, time, yeah. the rate yeah. of it going down and down every month that suggests if i'm if i'm a law firm i think i can take it on the chin for 6 months and then we're going to be mm-hmm. back to basically where we were right. and then i don't want to have to recoup you go out and find all new associates yeah I mean, I think that this is incredibly smart and and because I, I wasn't lying when I say that the sort of the ghost of 2010 looms large. Remember in 08, 09, beginning of 2010, a ton of folks were laid off because of the, the Great Recession. They laid off a ton of people what, reg- almost regardless of what practice area they were in. And the result was in two or three years time, they had a massive lack of mid-level talent as and senior level talent. They all of a sudden were looking to be able to give associates, oh, we need somebody to run a case that they didn't have the folks who had that experience at the firm anymore because they had let them all go. They had let almost classes worth of folks go. And then they were screwed on the back end. And they saw that. That's something that happened. And, you know, give them a, a... bit of credit for for recognizing uh, you know something that happened and trying not to do it again yeah how did they not no, see I, that coming you know i, mean, I think that they well the great recession was a we saw like entire businesses go down i think right. firms were much we saw giant law firms dewey ballot well then dewey LaBeouf. we saw it collapse very very quickly i think firms were much more concerned about staying afloat at that time things well, seemed much it was more also, terrifying it was also going to play out over a longer period yeah you knew yeah. that that one was going to be a three to four year period and you mm-hmm. can take it on the chin for six months can you take it on the chin for three years more importantly can you is it worth taking it on the chin for three years if the associate isn't getting three years worth of, of experience. more experience then ditch them and get a cheaper one on the back end i mean I mean, that's harsh, but that is how people looked at the situation. I can get a cheaper associate three years from now when things ramp back up. Right. And listen, it, it impacted an entire generation of attorneys oh, yeah. who now are the you know part are, are on partnership level at this point. And if you don't think that's impacting the people who are making the decisions now, you yeah. know this 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 is all part of the thing. And no, I think yeah. that's true. Yeah, I think uh, that's the true. only other the only other potential big law story that uh, just traffic wise did very well for us uh, for whatever that's worth mm-hmm. is let's pour a little out for for Skadden who. You know, just not that anything really bad happened to Skadden. It's just 
they try so hard to provide good advice to counsel. And then counsel, uh, blah, blah, no, good advice to, good counsel to clients. Sure, yeah, that's sure, what sure. I meant to say. Good good counsel to clients. And then the client says, you know what? I'm waiving due diligence. Let's just buy Twitter. Wah, wah, wah. See, uh, I, I actually have a sound effect. Yeah, anyway, but it takes uh, you time. And, yeah, you, you got to be quicker than that. Time is of the essence, Joe. Mm. Anyway, so, yeah. So, poor Skadden. Uh, it, sometimes it... It doesn't matter how good your attorneys are if uh, people aren't going to listen to you. All right, so that's And the Mora quote was 2001. I misspoke earlier. Go oh, okay. Which quote? I was... The, oh, that was, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, I, was, yeah, yeah. I was seven. It, it's it's okay. very famous. I mean, it's reasonably famous, so anyway. I, not to a seven-year-old. Also, not to actually, someone who doesn't like actually, sports yeah, ball. yeah, probably, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think that's much more the point because yeah. I think it's very important to a seven-year-old. Uh, so... <laughs> All right, next up was tech, uh, legal technology. Mm-hmm. What did people think was the big stuff? All right, so I understand I'm the only I, one. I have goes, thoughts. Oh, you I have, have thoughts. 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 Uh, free Pacer. Yes. That was, uh, I mean, it's not actually accomplished yet, but uh, the, the slow progress towards getting free federal records continues. Yeah, I think that's true. Uh, so PACER, uh, which is the clearinghouse of federal documents, uh, the court records, opinions, yada, yada, that's how you find them. So it costs money uh, because it was created back on an era where it costs like... Well, you had to fax pages over. Yeah, so it's like 10 cents a page to to look at stuff. Is that necessary in the year of our Lord 2022? <laughs> Absolutely not. But for the last couple of years, the as Congress has toyed with making it free the federal court system has adamantly declared that it was it would cost them two billion dollars to make it free for people to download cases ultimately after years of staving it off congress has gone ahead and said let's do this they submitted it to the congressional budget office who crunched all the numbers and the result is it saves 14 million dollars a year uh, so saves yes. money yes because yes. uh, the, the, they the amount that they have to spend to process all those 10 cent fa- fees well there's oh. partially the processing the second part is uh, the decision to make it free really just it's not as though it entirely became free massive downloaders are still going to pay fees and that's gonna be there so like thomson reuters and lexus who Mm -hmm. download everything Everything. because they have to put it all in their databases they will be charged and they'll be charged i i believe kind of an elevated rate over the 10 cents but they're making real money but they're making real money off (laughs) of it so they can absorb that whereas you you know Solo Joe practitioner. Sh- Joe Schmo, who just needs a couple of docs, doesn't have to do that. Uh, so, yeah, it saves money. There you go. Uh, I think the biggest story, from my perspective, uh, there were two. Uh, one was kind of the, uh, my takeaway was the API, the kind of the real tech shift in legal tech towards kind of the API. Like, mm. let's, let's have everything play together uh, with legal tech. I, for years, people have been kind of trying to say, like, my product is the perfect product, but nobody cares if you have the perfect product if it doesn't work with everything else they use. Uh, so there's a big push towards everybody being able to play nice. Uh, that, that was a theme at all the shows I went to this year uh, about legal tech, which I thought was new and interesting. Uh, it's kind of 
kind of falling uh, mm-hmm. years after the rest of like consumer electronics maybe had that moment. But uh, it's it, it's getting there. Yep. Did, uh, the, you, did you hit the yeah. point where you started to cringe every time you heard the word synergy? <laughs> no, it's. I mean, it's not synergy because because they, they're. It's just hey, we leave it to the client to figure out what they want us to work with, uh, which is new. It, it's been there, but that became the real selling point this year, which I thought was interesting. Uh, there are two other stories that I kind of flagged as of interest. Uh, one, which was a Catherine, you wrote story about mm. the uh, billable attention units. Oh yes. Uh, I don't think we're there technology-wise, but the fact that we're even considering not even breaking stuff down by the hour or tenth of the hour, as we currently do in the billable model, there were some uh, folks who want to explore breaking things down to the billable attention unit, meaning how much your brain is actually paying attention to the matter. And this is the crazy mad scientists who think they can create something that can track how often you're actually engaged with the subject matter as opposed to when your mind is wandering. Obviously, we just terrifying shit. We just went through a remote bar exam where they flagged a third of the people as cheating because the tech can't figure it out. So I don't understand how they think they're going to get to this. But it is I think it is a real tech story in law to the extent that it shows how Orwellian some of these uh, people who are making decisions might really be. Yeah, they, I think they're they're all about coulda, not about shoulda. This yeah. is definitely a no nuance November take, but Elon Musk is somewhere behind this. Uh, <laughs> this sounds so, like this sounds like Neuralink propaganda. Well, yeah, well, yes. yeah. I mean, the Neuralink would be the sort of thing that would do this. Uh, and the one other story of note was during the Ketanji Brown Jackson hearings, there was a Tom Cotton screw up where he. He tried to get a gotcha moment on how she was representing somebody at Gitmo long after she was at the public defender's office. This, of course, was not true, but it drags back to Pacer. Pacer doesn't actually update half the time whether or not you've <laughs> moved on from the case. So if you've been on the case and you Ever. leave, sometimes it'll still say you're the attorney of record. This is a problem. I did have a meeting that was very interesting with the folks uh, from Lex, Lex Machina uh, division, they have a system now that will actually go through and leveraging some AI, it can look at those records and be like, no, this person's gone. Uh, and it can figure that out and give you actual information of who really is on the case, which I thought was a cool, like, it's one of those things that it was cool to the extent that it's so simple. That yeah. should not be a difficult thing, and yet we have to leverage AI to get there. <laughs> I mean, God bless. At least we're using it for something. Before we close, I wanted to know, do y'all have any, not even looking at um, what did well, do y'all have any favorite stories of the year? Right. Well, we are not even done with the topics, but that is a good one, too. We are not closing because we also have another topic after yes. this. So okay. let's do I, that. I knew that, everyone. I knew that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thanks for following along with the memo. Uh, <laughs> so legal uh, legal ethics. Legal ethics was a, was a hot topic. Um, it's hard to not to bring up Clarence and Ginny Thomas when you're talking about legal ethics in 2022. I think that one of my most trafficked headlines was, oh, look. Another Clarence Thomas ethics scandal. Um, yeah. They were they were many this year. He can 
His wife is also an attorney, uh, but also a right-wing activist, very involved in uh, January 6th-related stuff. Yes, he continues to hear cases about January 6th-related matters. <laughs> Certainly there's an ethical issue there. Uh, there's also the disclosure issue that he hasn't been um, forthright in a lot of his disclosures about how much money his wife is making as a result of these advocacy activities and who his wife is working for is also uh, a big question. And sort of the capper on the Ginny Thomas, Clarence Thomas ethics question mark on 2022 is adding the uh, security bill to the uh, defense budget that will add, that will make it a uh, state secret to report on or to know about what the spouses of federal judges do for a living. There is a carve out for news reporting on, under that, but it is certainly true that this is a chilling thing that has, you know, now now we know that Ginny Thomas does all the stuff because of all the public records that have been available about who she works for and how much money she makes, et cetera, et cetera. But, and so I think that we will continue to report on Ginny Thomas, but who knows, I think I've said before, who the next Ginny Thomas will be, who the next spouse of a lifetime appointed federal judge is doing. And we have no way potentially of knowing that. Yeah. Uh, the only other ones to talk about is I, I, we're, we're on the cusp of Rudy Giuliani being disbarred. Uh, D.C. is uh, D.C. disciplinary. Again? Just had a hearing about happen? it. Well, uh, D.C. is when you're uh, barred uh, in multiple places. Yeah. <laughs> so D.C. is looking at that. Obviously, this is well, him is like Pringles. You can't just have one like. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and John Eastman, uh, if, mm -hmm. speaking of January 6th stuff, obviously he attempted for a couple of years to prevent anyone from getting access to the emails he put on his job server uh, plotting a coup uh, that has not worked out for him. Uh, he is still trying to fight that, but that is uh, another legal ethics thing. And I guess on the, I guess there's also Jeff Clark who just uh, tried to assert work product and attorney client privilege over his own memoirs that he's submitted to be published, <laughs> uh, which is, is a new one. Yeah, legal ethics was uh, fun this year. All right, so let's that. I like Chris's question uh, real quick. What is your favorite story you did this year? How about you go first, Joe? You know, I, for me, I, I hate to be this person, but for me, it is absolutely, it, it's a string of stories, I suppose, but it's my- The my, beat that you were on. Uh, my, my, my favorite guy, Jonathan Turley. Uh, <laughs> Jonathan Turley from George Washington Law has been- so ridiculous uh, in the hot takes he's delivered throughout the year. And it's just like, it's the gift that keeps on giving. Every time I open it up, there's another absolutely batshit crazy thing he's going to say. Uh, so I think it's probably that. Oh, no, actually, I, I, I reverse. My favorite thing was when Judge Pryor decided to yes. call us out by name. name. checked. Uh, and, and, and try to stir up his fash sock buddies against us by name. That was that was also a really fun story to cover. For the listeners, in my mind, the rivalry between uh, Joe Patrice and Turley is like Sasuke and Naruto. I'm just imagining at some point they're going to have a nice get together, have some dinner, be like, eh, you know, eh, I think it's cool we fought. You know, it's, it's, it's nice. Mm. <laughs> Catherine? 
Um, I certainly my Ginny Thomas beat has been one of the most reliable wells I went to uh, in 2022. You know, all the ethics issues that I've talked about. She also testified before the January 6th committee is wild stuff. Um, But also the back and forth between um, Samuel Alito and Justice Kagan about the legitimacy question mark of the Supreme Court was also a fascinating story to talk about and sort of the back and forth, the way they responded to one another. Justice Kagan saying that because of the Dobbs decision and the disrespect for precedent that is evident in the decision that the court has squandered its legitimacy and Samuel Lee being like, how dare you question the court's legitimacy? It's like, no, bro, you did that. Uh, Mm -hmm. And I think that that back and forth, I think, is going to create a a real subtext that future court decisions we're going to have to look for as well. Yeah. Chris? Yeah. So uh, just for context, undergrad, I did Africana studies, currently an Africana professor at some school in Jersey that isn't Princeton. And because Princeton people always say that. Anyway. I got to interview Martin Luther King's son for one of the stories yeah. this year, and that was fucking dope. Like, <laughs> yeah. like as a as a as a as a responsible young man inside, I was fangirling. I'm like, oh my god, I love your dad's work, you know. And it's also cool that like he followed in his footsteps. Like he's also doing mm-hmm. you know important civil rights work. So it's just cool to talk to a child of legacy that is also his own legacy, you know. Like, and and it was also cool to. I mean, also I interviewed Al, Al Sharpton. That's cool, I guess. Mm-hmm. also got yeah. to interview Kimberly Crenshaw. Um, yeah. And she was one of the, uh, like, if you ever heard the word intersectionality, she's probably the reason, unless you're talking about, like, driving and you're at an intersection. But, yeah, she's, like, a big thing in, like, race and uh, gender studies. So it was, it was it was cool to have a extended conversation with her. Um, I yeah. took that class with yeah, Kimberly Catherine, Crenshaw in law school. Professor. <laughs> That's what's up. Your, your professor is dope. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Quite yeah. enjoyed her class. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, this has been 2022, you guys. So, uh, yeah. So with that said, let's uh, move to our final uh, conversation here, which is you should subscribe to the show as I already previewed. You should give it reviews, stars, write something, always helps. You should be following above the law because uh, that's where you can read all these stories and the ones that we don't even talk about here. You should be listening to the Jabot, Catherine's other podcast. I'm a guest on the Legal Tech Week Journalist Roundtable. You should listen to the other shows on the Legal Talk Network. You should be following us on social media, which I will just do Twitter at this point. It's at ATL blog, at Joseph Patrice, at Catherine One, the numeral one, and at Rights for Rent. But uh, we also are on various other places. Uh, pretty much everywhere else I am, I'm at Joe Patrice. I don't know about everyone else, but like Mastodon. At this point, we're about to make a be real. Yeah, Mastodon pose. Yeah, I mean, Catherine post. or Catherine Rubino, but thanks so much. Yeah. And uh, uh, yeah. happy 2023. See you next year. If you're a lawyer running a solo or small firm and you're looking for other lawyers to talk through issues you're currently facing in your practice, join the Unbillable Hours Community Roundtable, a free virtual event on the third Thursday of every month. Lawyers from all over the country come together and meet with me, lawyer and law firm management consultant Christopher T. Anderson, to discuss best practices on topics such as marketing, client acquisition, hiring, and firing 
and time management. The conversation is free to join, but requires a simple reservation. The link to RSVP can be found on the Unbillable Hour page at LegalTalkNetwork.com. We'll see you there.